0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back for another great episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. I hope you are well. And you are enjoying the early drop of the rebroadcast that I've been doing for the past two weeks of the Parsha. This week you got the rebroadcast of last year's episode of Shalach. I hope it's giving you an early start on preparing for the weekly Parsha. And before we start, as always, if you have any questions comments, or just would like to reach out and say hello, all feedback is welcome. Please send me an email at rabbishlomakon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Shalach. And the Parsha most famously deals with the story of the Meraglim, the story of the spies. The Jewish people, in their preparation for entering the land of Egypt, ask Moshe Rabenu for permission to ask Moses for permission to send spies into the land of Israel to reconnoiter the land to see its defenses to see the people to see what's going on over there so that the eventual conquest of the land of Israel can be an easier one the truth is though and Moshe Rabenu knew this is that when the Jewish people asked to send in spies into the land of Israel they didn't have the complete trust in God as they should have. And the this asking, this desire to send in spies into the land of Israel didn't come from a good place necessarily. It came from a lack of trust. But Moshe Rabbeinu asks Hashem, asked God, and God allows the Jewish people to send in meraglim, spies, into Eretz Israel, into the land of Israel, to take a view of the situation, to see what's going on, and the Jewish people appoint 12 spies, one from each tribe, and the commentaries tell us that each one of these spies was a great person. They were leaders of their respective tribes, and it's actually interesting because the commentaries tell us that when the the spies are listed in the Torah, the... The greatness of each one of them is listed in the order of their greatness. And we know Joshua, Yeshua, who would be the eventual successor of Moshe Rabbeinu, was listed fifth as the fifth spy. He was the fifth greatest, meaning there were four other spies that were greater than him. And what happens, for different reasons that the commentary give, the spies go into the land of Israel, and they come back and give a negative report about the land. They say that they see giants and the, the land, the nations that dwell there are very, very strong. And it's a land of epidemics and people are dying and they give a negative report. Now, we'll discuss a little bit why they gave this bad report. They had their calculations. It was incorrect. But 10 of the 12 spies, the exception being Joshua, Joshua, and Kalev, Caleb, go bad. They give this bad report. They speak the Lushan Hara on the land of Israel. They speak this evil speech on Eretz Israel. And the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, believe and they accept what they say. And they cry. And there's a commotion in the camp. The people come to Moshe Rabbeinu. They come to Moses and say, Why did you take us out of Egypt to die here in the desert? They lose that Faith in God that God, who took them out of Mitzrayim, who took them out of Egypt, can also bring them into the land of Israel, no matter how you know defensible or how strong these seven nations are in the land of Canaan, which is the land of Israel. And God gets upset at the Jewish people, and the the parsha describes to us the back and forth how Moshe um, Davins, he prays to Hashem to forgive the Jews. But the Jewish nation is punished, and instead of entering the land of Israel immediately after the Exodus, right now the, the story of the spies takes place immediately after going out of Egypt, the Jews are destined to spend the next 40 years in the Sinai Desert. And as additionally, besides that, the generation that came out of Egypt obviously over a certain age is decreed upon them that no one with the exception being Yeshua and a few others will not enter the land of Israel only the next generation will get to go in to eretz yisrael now the parsha also tells us about the this mitzvah there's also this commandment in the in the torah portion about the libations the nisachim as well as special mitzvah of challah challah doesn't mean challah. When you think of a challah bread, the translation of that word doesn't mean bread in Hebrew. Rather, it's a mitzvah to separate from the dough, and that's what the word challah means, to separate that that a piece of the dough is taken and given to the Kohen, to the priests, who are the teachers of the Jewish people. Nowadays, we don't give the dough to the priest, but a piece of the dough is separated, and it's burned or wrapped, double-wrapped and thrown away. Additionally, the Torah gives us a prohibition against idol worship, and the, the parsha finishes with the commandment of tzitzis, the commandment to add these special fringes to the corner of four-cornered garments. Now, the first idea I wanted to share with you today is on the story of the Meraglim. And as I mentioned before, these, these great leaders, right, they started off as great leaders, they turned bad. Right, they gave a negative report on the land of Israel, and the question is: Is what happened to them? How did they turn bad and get to the point where they deny the power of Hashem, where they deny the power of God? And the commentaries have different answers, and one of them that I wanted to share with you today is this: is gives us a very powerful lesson to the human psyche. You know, we know that a child will do anything for candy, right? When it comes to candy, sweets, they'll do anything to get the sweets. Adults, we don't have you know, that desire so much. Maybe we like some sweet things, we like ice cream. But that's not what we really care about. But what candy is to a child, honor is to an adult. And um, the commentaries tell us is that the, these leaders when the Jewish people were living in the in the desert, all their needs were taken care of them. They had the man, which was their food. They had the well of Miriam, which was their water source. The clouds of glory, the Ananiya covered, hover, hovered on top of them, protected them. Their clothes didn't wear. Everything was great. They didn't have to do anything. And these leaders, these sages, they felt that if they entered the land of Israel, they're just gonna be a regular person. They're, they might lose their their position, their authority, and they'll become regular again. And the drive for honor caused them to make that fatal mistake. Another answer which is given as to why they erred is that these sages, these leaders, as great as they were, they made a fatal miscalculation. You know, as I mentioned before, Everything was great in the desert. The Jews had everything they needed. All they did was study Torah all day. They studied Torah, and everything else was taken care of for them. They knew that when they would enter the land of Israel, there would be certain mitzvot which would be incumbent upon them. They wouldn't receive the manna anymore. They wouldn't have the well of Miriam. They would have to work the land. They would have to build up the country. They would have to conquer it and build it up from nothing. They had a righteous intention that they felt it would be better if they never would enter the land because if they, if the Jewish people would never enter the land of Israel, they would never have to stop being busy with Torah and mitzvot. They could just continue learning. They wouldn't have to deal with these mundane things such as planting and sowing and building and doing these mitzvot which are um, dependent on the land which would take us away from the learning, from studying Torah. So therefore they thought it would be better for our service of God if the Jewish people would just stay in the desert forever and not enter the land of Israel so therefore they devised this plan to say slander on the land of Israel and therefore caused the Jewish people to not want to go into the land they thought that was the best calculation that's what they they thought that's what God wanted from them now the lesson from that is that you know many times we make Calculations, we have rationalizations of what we do and what we don't do. And sometimes the rationalizations that we make are very religious calculations. You know, we say, oh, it's better for us to not do this mitzvah because if I do this mitzvah, you know, God wants me to not do this. And it would be better for me if I would do this and um, not do something else. You know, every, I, I want everyone to fill in the blanks themselves. But the point is, is that many times we make decisions and we justify our decisions saying to ourselves that this is what God wants. But the truth is, is that we really are blinded by our own biases. And really the reality is that what's set out for us is God set out for us a plan and instruction book of what we should do and what we should not do. That's the Torah. That's the mitzvot. And for us to make calculations that it's better for me to to not do this mitzvah so more people could do a different mitzvah, right? So that's not a calculation that we should make. Because there is a train of thought out there that people say to themselves that I, I'll break the Torah in this area so I could fill it in another area. That's not the correct outlook. We have to do what the Torah says. And if it's going if that decision is going to lead to um a decrease in the honor of Torah somewhere else, that's not your problem. You have to do what's incumbent upon you, what's laid out in the Torah, what is the commandments, what does the Torah tell us to do? And to have a calculation of down the road what's gonna be, that's not on you. That's not your responsibility. That is God's responsibility. Another thought I wanted to share with you today focuses in on the first part of the parsha, on the actual story of Moshe Rabbeinu sending the spies into Egypt. If you look in the verses in the beginning of the Parsha, it says something very interesting. When the Parsha is going through the names of all the different Nisim, who actually were the spies, the leaders of each tribe were the spies, The after listing everyone's name, the Torah tells us, Elish Moshe Shalach Moshe Vayikra Moshe Benun Yehoshua that these are the names of the men whom Moshe sent to spy out the land. Moshe called Hosea, son of Nun, Yehoshua. That he added a Yud to the name of Yoshua, Or it was Hosea, now it was Yehoshua, Joshua. And Rashi explains to us the meaning of this. It says in Rashi, Nespala alav Yehoshiecha me'atzas miraglim. That Hashem should save you from the from the plan of the Meraglim that he gave him a blessing Moshe Rabbeinu gave him a blessing Yeshua, that he should be saved from this scheme of the Meraglim which he foresaw and that Joshua shouldn't be included shouldn't get swept away in this report that they would eventually bring back to the Jewish nation and if you look further on in the story of the Meraglim the verse tells us that the Meraglim were traveling it says it says They ascended in the south and they arrived in Hebron where there were Achiman, Sheishai, and Talmai the offspring of the giant. Hebron had been built seven years before Son of, of Mitzrayim of Egypt. And Rashi tells us over there as well why it was necessary to note that they passed through Hebron and Rashi says that Kalev levado Halakhsham v'nishetateach al-kivre avos that Kalev who was the other one of the two leaders who did not go bad it was only Yoshua and Kalev who did not give a bad report in the land they stayed righteous he went away from the rest of the Meraglim, from the rest of the spies and went to Hebron went to the cave of Machpelah with, the, with the, our forefathers and the matriarchs and the patriarchs are buried. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, right, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah, Rivka, Rebecca, Leah. And he, and he prayed there. Shaloh yehei nisas lios batzasam, That he shouldn't be tested with them and shouldn't get swept along with the rest of the Meraglim, with the rest of the spies. And Rashi goes on to explain the rest of his interpretation on that passage. But the idea is that the Torah tells us that Caleb stopped in Hebron to pray. There's an interesting observation that the Chafetz Chaim brings regarding these two stories in the Parsha of Shalach, in this week's Parsha. Because we know that Yoshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, were the only two out of the 12 spies that stayed righteous, they stayed true, to who they really were, they didn't become bad. They didn't give a bad report in the land. And the question is, is why did Moshe Rabbeinu, why did Moses only feel necessary to give a blessing only to Joshua, right? Wasn't Kalev with him as well? Why didn't he give a blessing to Kalev with Yeshua that he shouldn't get, you know, they should be saved from this from this plot of the spies? And the question on the flip side as well is. Why is it that only Kaleb went to pray by the cave of Machpelah, by the Ma'arasa Machpelah? Why didn't Yoshua go along with him? Why was he only him by himself? If they were both righteous, if they both stayed true to their beliefs, why was each one of these scenarios happening by themselves? The blessing from Moshe just happened with Yoshua. And this davening of Kaleb that he went to the Ma'arasa Machpelah, went to the cave of Machpelah, only happened with Kaleb. And the Chavetz Chaim explains from this observation that there are two paths in avodas Hashem, two, two ways in service of God when there's negative influences around the world. When we're surrounded by falsehood and people who want to influence us negatively, the Chavetz Chaim is telling us that from this story, from this observation of Kalev and Yoshua, we can learn out about these two paths of dealing with this negative around us and how to serve God in such a world, in such a situation. And he says that the two ways that a person can deal with these situations when they're surrounded by falsehood, surrounded by evil, is by either fighting it actively, showing these forces, showing these people that you don't agree with them. You're going to push back with your beliefs. You have your convictions and you're not changing one iota and you try to correct everyone the situation around you so that you don't become influenced and there's a second way of um, dealing with it that a person stays to themselves pretends on the outside that they're maybe they don't have to agree with what they're saying but doesn't actively you know fight them doesn't actively go against the the negativity the falsehood outright but in their heart, They keep themselves strong, and and maybe at the right moment when there's it's more conducive to speak up, they'll speak up in the proper way. The Chavetz Chaim tells us that each one of these ways has a pro and has a con. That when a person decides to fight to to stand up for what's right, so the the pro is is that they're much less likely to become influenced by the negative forces around them, by the falsehood around them, because since they're actively pushing back, they're actively showing that they don't agree. So therefore, it's less likely that they're going to be influenced by the the world around them, because we know people naturally get influenced. You know, we're, we're like chameleons. A chameleon, whatever the color, the surrounding that it finds itself in, that's what it turns to. And people are like that as well, unless we actively do something within ourselves to push back, we're gonna become like the society we find ourselves in. And the con to this is that if a person pushes back too much, a person is too vociferous to to the powers that be, he puts himself at risk of being cut off, of being attacked, of being pushed out, and that's a risk in itself as well. And the second way of dealing with these with, this, with a world which is full of, of negativity, of falsehood, as I mentioned, is keeping silent to yourself, not letting it in, and maybe not actively fighting, but holding it back till really the right moment where you feel that what you have to say can be accepted. What you wanna say that the right way, which you believe in on the inside, in your heart, that's when you'll say it, when you have the right moment. And the benefit of this is that the people who have these views, who have these bad views, who are the bad influences will not conspire to hurt you because they see on the outside that you seem to be, you know, more or less agreeing with them. I wouldn't I don't even want to say agreeing, but they're not you're not fighting against them. They think that you possibly have the same view as them, so therefore they won't hurt you. But it comes with a risk as well to have this view of get along to go along, comes with a tremendous risk that if a person only keeps his views on the inside, he puts himself in a situation where slowly but surely, like I mentioned before, that we're like chameleons. A person makes himself susceptible to being influenced by these bad views, by these negative opinions, by these false beliefs, because the, the example that the Chavetz Chaim gives us, the example that the Chavetz Chaim gives to understand how it could influence is that if a person stands out in the cold, eventually, if he's just standing there, he's going to get colder and colder and colder until a person puts himself at risk of dying. So when someone has a belief and doesn't speak up about it and keeps quiet to himself, they're sort of like that person who's outside that slowly but surely they are put at the risk of getting colder and colder and colder till they become influenced themselves so we have two views two ways of dealing with the world when we're surrounded by false beliefs and even heretical ideas how do we deal with them so option number 1 is to push back and it doesn't mean to fight with people necessarily but it means to state your belief to to say what you truly believe in. To let people know what you stand for. And it comes with a risk, like we mentioned. And the second way of dealing with it is by maybe not being so outwardly with your opinion, but in your heart, you you keep your beliefs strong. But it comes with a tremendous risk that you put yourself in a situation of being influenced, possibly. And the Chavetz Chaim tells us here that from this week's Parsha, from Yeshua and Caleb, we see that they represent these two ideas, these two ways of serving God in a situation when you're surrounded by evil, surrounded by falsehood. Because Yeshua took the path of the first way. He was someone who had his beliefs, he wore it on his shoulder. He said it on the outset. He, he stood up for what was right. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu had to give him a blessing. So that the rest of the spies shouldn't harm him, shouldn't hurt him. Khaliv, on the other hand, was a person who took the second route, was somebody who, who kept his beliefs on the inside. So although he stayed true to his beliefs, he always was a tzaddik, the other miraglim, the other spies, thought that he had gone along with their scheme, that he, that he agreed to them. And that's why only Kalev went to the, to the cave of Machpelah to pray. Because when he came into the land, together with the rest of the Meraglim, and they saw these giants, they decided at that moment that they would give a bad report. And he was scared that maybe he would be influenced. So therefore, he went to the cave of Machpelah, Machpela, to Davin, that he should not be influenced from the rest of the Meraglim. And only later on, when it was the right moment, did he actually give over his true beliefs and was able to have the people listen to him because the other Meragam, the other spies thought at first that he agreed, so they let him speak. And only after he started did he say, no, this, this is not the correct thing to do. Moshe Rabbeinu has taken us out of Egypt and Hashem for sure could take us into the land. And the Chavetz Chaim finishes this idea by, by saying in his essay that both of these ways are valid ways. Because we see sometimes in the Parsha, Yoshua's name is listed first, and other times Kalev's name is listed first. And I just want to add one more point to this, based on this idea, is that maybe, you know, they're both equal ways of, of servicing God when we're surrounded by negativity. But I think we learn from the Parsha, from the fact that they're both equal, and sometimes Yoshua is listed first, and sometimes Kalev is listed, listed first maybe signifies this idea that sometimes we have to be like Yeshua and sometimes we have to be like Kalev. Sometimes we have to stand up for our values. We have to stand up even in the face of adversity to say what we believe. And there's a risk. We might get damaged somehow, but we need to stand up for what we we believe. And other times it's better to be quiet, to maybe not show all your cards at once and at the right moment speak up in, in the right way. And I think this is something we should take with us. You know, we live in a world where we're inundated with negativity, false beliefs, craziness. And, you know, I think there's this question of how do you respond? Do you respond, do you not respond? And I think with this outlook from the parsha of the Meraglim and this uh, explanation of the Chavetz Chaim, maybe gives us a little bit of understanding of how we could deal with the negative forces around us and how we could stay true to our beliefs to not get influenced, and at the same time, be able to show the world what we stand for. So that's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions, comments, or just would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokohen, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. Have a great day.